Good morning, everyone. Special hi to those who are online, uh, online church. Welcome to you guys, too. Grace and peace to you all. Joy and God's blessings to you. I was in the middle of doing something. I don't remember what, but it was important. And I was interrupted by the little ding on my cell phone that told me that I was receiving a text message. Being interrupted can be annoying. Why so annoying? It's because whatever it is that is interrupting us, we perceive that it is not as important as the important thing that we're doing. But sometimes, not often, sometimes the important thing that we are doing is interrupted by something even more important. And you remember the little ding on my cell phone? This was the text that I got. Isn't he awesome? This is my grandson, Isaiah. And just for the record, Isaiah, you can interrupt me anytime you want to. This little guy managed to interrupt and break through all the important things that I was doing, and I can't even remember what those important things were. Interruptions, we're talking about interruptions. Today, Rosie and I recently were able to purchase a new used Honda. Our old car needed way too many thousands of dollars in repairs, so we traded in that thing, and we were able to purchase a new used Honda, which we really, really like. There's a lot of tech gadgety things that came with our car. I have yet to figure out, but they just, they happen. And I, at some point, I'm going to have to figure out how and why they happen. But this much I know. Um, a couple weeks ago, Rosie and I were on vacation. We were tooling around in our car at different places. And we would hop in and we'd buckle up. And no sooner had we started the engine up, then a song from my cell phone came on the car stereo. And I wasn't exactly sure how that all worked. But um, it was a cello song. And I like cello Christmas songs. It was a Christmas cello song. And I like Christmas cello songs, just not during my summer vacation. And so... I thought, if I'm going to be interrupted by a song every time I start the car, I'd at least like it to be a song of my choosing. And so I figured out at least one thing, and I picked a song that would come on. It was a song by David Crowder. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called My Beloved, and this is how it starts out. It starts out, there's a sun coming up in my soul, Lord, in my soul. I could sing it for you, but you probably don't want me to sing it for you. But so now whenever we start the car, uh, if my cell phone is nearby, what comes up is this interruption of this song. There's a sun coming up in my soul, Lord, in my soul. I like that because I like that kind of interruption because it reminds me of the kind of interruption that we're going to be talking about today as we look at the letter of 1 John. 
It's like a morning sunrise interrupts the night. Don't know if you ever think, thought about it that way. The morning sunrise interrupts the night. Actually, it takes over. Interrupted by the most important thing. Interrupted by God's truth. That's the big idea I want to think about, talk with you about this morning. So we need to understand what is the most important thing. And we need to be willing to be interrupted by it. So whatever important thing that you are doing, whatever important destination you might be heading, God wants the light of his truth to be shining like a morning sunrise in your soul and in my soul too this morning. So is there a sun coming up in your soul? As a church family, we've been spending the last number of weeks looking at uh, the letter, the short letter we call 1 John. For all the angst through all the ages for us humans, pondering the question of life after death, John sets forth in a very understandable and simple way. And this is what Pastor Jim spoke about last week. In 1 John 5, 12, this is what it says. Whoever has the Son has the life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So anyone who has Jesus has this eternal life that John was talking about. Today, we're going to be looking at how John concludes this first letter called 1 John. And in verse 13, it begins our passage with these words. John wrote, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. First of all, John is writing to believers. And there are a lot of verses that would do this, but it struck me that if any verse would make an unbeliever want to become a believer, this might be one of those. And so I've got a multiple choice question for you to get us started. And here are your choices. Believers in Jesus can A, think, B, hope, or C, know that they have eternal life. The answer is C. Believers in Jesus can know that they have eternal life. Awesome. So how can we be so certain? How, how can we be so certain? John uses this phrase, the confidence. He talks about the confidence. And that's understandable because John's readers, uh, or us, we, we are John's readers also, um, sometimes doubts can just descend, kind of like a fog bank. Eternal life, of course, is not something that we can see. We cannot see it coming, but we can be confident that it is coming. So there's some reasons that we can be confident. And I think that's the little argument that uh, John is making here in these first, uh, in these last verses of his letter. So he gives us a few examples. He says there's three things that we can know. 
we know that God hears us. Look at this first, the next few in verse 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. We can talk with God. Let me say that another way. We can talk with God. And when we do, God hears us. And God answers us. And I think the answer is yes, but the question is, have you ever had a prayer that God answered? It was a, quite a specific prayer that you prayed, but it was a, quite a specific way that God answered it. And I think it's worth thinking about how can that be explained? And it reminds me of our kids' camp. Our kids' camp began with a day on the calendar, August, the first week of August. And next, next summer, it's going to be the first week of August also because we have that written on the banner that we spent some money on. Kids' camp, the first week of August. So add that to your calendars. But... It also began with a lot of prayers, and we were praying for God's help in the process. We were praying for God's blessing um, on the camp on the campus that week. We were also praying that God would bring um, the right volunteers to help make it all happen. The end result was that it grew to become a team of over fifty staff and volunteers and a whole bunch of campers. We had. 87 campers that were able to come. The volunteers were really awesome, but I know I'm talking to some of the volunteers right here, and so I get to say, you guys were awesome. We had five mornings together, five days, and we we just uh, came alongside each other, and each of us had a job description, a little um, area of responsibility, but this person would help that person with their responsibility. And that person would help that person with their little job description. And that's how it was. That was the vibe. All week long, we were serving one another. We were working alongside one another. And it was, it was really, really cool. Above all those things, God used our team to get the message of Jesus out to a whole bunch of boys and girls that were eager and willing to hear it. It wasn't a perfect camp. We're working on some things, for sure. But it went so well in so many ways that at, at the end of it, I just thought, these are answers to prayers that we prayed. And that's what we're talking about. This experience that we know as prayer so we, humble little humans, we pray. But our prayers are heard by God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. How do we know that our prayers just start rattling around inside our head? God invented the answer to prayer. That's how we know. God invented the answer to prayer. How else do we explain it? prayer? and answers to prayer. It 
can't explain it apart from the fact that God is real. God hears. God answers. The point is that prayer is one way that can grow our confidence that God is real and that God's promise of eternal life is true. John gives a, Next, John gives an example of an answered prayer that is prayed according to his will. The prayer is, pray for a brother who is sinning. So listen up, this goes by quite quickly. Praying for the brother who is sinning, he shall ask and God will give him life. We pray for a sinning brother and God will bring him life, will give him life. Now we're to pray according to God's will. And I had the simple question, does God want us to sin? Obviously, no. I suppose we could see a brother who's struggling in some way. We could shake our head. We could roll our eyes and um, maybe look the direction, try not to be too judgy about the whole thing. But the breaking news this morning is that we all sin. And so none of us are better. And so what keeps us from praying a prayer for our sinning brother? It's like, I don't want to come off as better. (laughs) You won't, because none of us are better. But God invites us to pray for the sinning brother. I was thinking about this, and I, I wrote down the question. I said, um, what's the only way to get an answer to prayer? To pray. You won't get an answer to prayer unless you pray. And so I, I read this passage and I say, let's pray for each other in the areas that we struggle with. Perhaps your brother or sister or maybe your son or daughter is still struggling with sin, partly because you and I have not prayed for them, to God, for God to help them in that area. The Bible invites us to pray for the sinning brother or the sinning, the, the sinning sister. And the sin in a person's life can, can turn into this vortex that draws a person down deeper and deeper into it. And how does somebody ever get out of that situation? And of course, uh, many don't. But God's specialty is saving sinners. <laughs> and here we're talking about the sinning brother. And I think at the bottom line, when we pray for sinning brothers and sinning sisters, <clears throat> excuse me, that can bring about God's miracle in that person's life. So I just say, if, if it's me and I'm struggling with an area, I'm sure glad for you praying for me. And if you're struggling in an area, aren't you glad that your church family can be praying for you in that? Yeah. The bottom line, though, is that prayer and answered prayer showcase the power of God. And when we experience, when our experience leads to encountering God's power, we grow in our confidence that God is real and true. And 
the promise of eternal life is real and true too. And I hope that more and more you will be able to join us on Tuesdays. We meet each Tuesday from 6 to 7 right here. And here's what we do. We pray. (laughs) We pray. And uh, by God's grace, he hears and answers prayers. There's something else that we can know that grows our confidence in God. John writes about it. It says, we know we are born of God. And look at this next verse, verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We've been born of God. Our spirit has come to life. This is what Jesus said in John 3. He said, we must be born of the Spirit. What happens when we are born of the Spirit? My mind went to this passage in Ephesians. It's a little long, but it's awesome. And I hope you uh, don't mind listening along as I read this. It talks about what it means to be born of God and being brought back to life. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God's made us alive. We are born again. God has now protected us, John writes, spiritually, and the evil one does not touch him. Uh, You might remember the name Elliot Ness. He was a federal agent who fought against organized crime in Chicago. I think it was the 40s. In Cleveland, I think, also. His team was called the Untouchables. And there was a show about that. Maybe you've seen it over the years. They were called the Untouchables because they could not be bought by corruption. John makes this little addition that... um, The evil one does not touch him. It's like we are the spiritual untouchables. Except, yeah, except that I don't feel very spiritually untouchable a lot. But here's what I think John is getting at. Born of God. That's a short phrase, but it's not a throwaway phrase. Phrase. It's not a throwaway verse. He's talking about the work that God accomplishes. John has just talked about the brother who is committing a sin a few verses back. And so it's not like we who believe in Jesus walk through a day mistake-free or sinless. But there's a difference. There's a change that has happened. The change is that we are born of God. Now we belong to God. I thought of what John, what Jesus said, what John wrote that Jesus said in John 10. 
think about this. I give them eternal life, Jesus said, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand, he said. If we are in God's hand, we are spiritually untouchable because now we belong to God. Nobody can mess with God if we are in his hand, right? So we are still going to sin. But I think John is saying that we can have victory over sin in our life. I am a, Rosie and I are fans of a TV show. It's called The Chosen. It's a crowdfunded TV show. The story of um, the calling of Jesus' disciples in the life of Jesus. <clears throat> One of my favorite lines is uh, said by the character of Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, in reality, she was demon-possessed. Her life was bad. The line I like is her reflecting back on the difference that Jesus had made in her life, the difference that was made in her life, that she had met Jesus. And this is what she said. All I know is that I was one way. And now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. And for us, all we know is that God has worked a change in us. It wasn't us that worked the change. It was him. And we are not all that different than Mary Magdalene. In 1 John 1, nine, this is what John had written way earlier in his letter. If we confess our sins, who is it? It's he. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all, we, all the mistakes we made, all the dark places we have traveled. And so how does that happen? That a sinful folks like us in the fallen world can happen, can have a victory over our sinful nature. How does that happen? We've been changed by God at the level of our spiritual nature. A changed life is the point. A changed life allows us to grow in confidence that God has given us eternal life. Are we tracking together here? There's some things that can grow our confidence. And a changed life is one of those. Here's another one. John says there's another thing we can know. It will help us be confident as well. And God has put a longing inside of us for heaven. Here's how John put it. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I don't have to explain this to anyone. But this has been a hard year or two. The world can be a hard planet to live on. It's not one thing, it's another. It's, it's pandemics and earthquakes and floods and terrorists and the list goes on. But there's a little insight into the spiritual 
the spiritual world right here. It's what we don't see, but it's a 24-7 reality of where we're living. John says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So you might say, oh, that's why I woke up with a crick in my neck. Or, oh, that might explain the rumble sound in the washing machine, you know, that we hear. I don't know about that, but I do know that there's a reality of the spiritual context that we live each day. We're sojourners here. We live here, but we're not truly from here. Paul said our citizenship is in heaven. And here John is writing that we are from God. I really like how the writer of Hebrews described this. In chapter 11, he's talking about men and women who lived their life, lived their days, and had faith in God. And this is from Hebrews 11. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Do you desire that better country too? Do you find yourself desiring that better country more and more? Me too. The point of these three points is that there's a confidence that we can have about eternal life. There are things that we cannot otherwise explain, like answers to prayer, like a changed life, like a longing for heaven that we have a hard time putting into words. So now we must live accordingly. How does this growing confidence help us? It helps us to live differently. This truth from God interrupts our lives. I really think it needs to interrupt any status quo in our lives. So John says we can know that we have eternal life. Should something change because that is true? I was thinking about this. Truth interrupts. In fact, it even disrupts. Like the sun we were talking about before, uh, the morning sunrise. The morning sunrise is interrupting the night, and it's also, it disrupts. It disrupts the night. I personally think that's a super helpful metaphor. John apparently did too. Way back in 1 John 1, this is what he said, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That reminded me of something one of our presidents said, John Adams, second president of the United States. He's talking about facts, but I think it applies here to the truth. Here's what John Adams wrote about facts. Facts are stubborn things. And whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passions, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. 
God's truth is a bit of a stubborn thing. <laughs> there's, there's nothing that can stand against it. Here's how John concludes the letter of 1 John. These are the last two verses of his little letter. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. I think the word understanding is a key word here. What is it to word un- to understand about the true God? The word understanding has the, the idea of uh, deep thought. John lists a couple things that are true. A couple, two things for deep thought. Two things to understand. Two truths that I recommend we let interrupt everything else. Like John Adams would say, whatever our inclinations, wishes, or passions, the truth should illuminate us, not the other way around. Rosie and I had a prayer time a week ago or two. I don't remember how long it was, but she prayed something that I remember. Uh, She said, in the midst of our praying, God, we cannot turn off the dark, but we can turn on the light. Know him who is true, John wrote. So here's what we can first understand. We are to know him who is true. We adjust our life today in light of the eternal life that's on its way by how? By knowing him. I really like how the prophet uh, Hosea put it. In Hosea 6.3, it says, Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. This knowing Jesus brings refreshment. It brings life. So what does knowing him look like? I thought of what Jesus said, what John wrote and Jesus said in John 10. What does it mean to know him? The sheep hear his voice, Jesus said, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. In verse 14, Jesus adds, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. What are we to understand? Growing our friendship with Jesus involves listening, following, letting ourselves be shepherded, by the Good Shepherd. So I'd encourage us all, spend time with Jesus. Spend time in his word. Pray as you go to wherever it is you go. We are to know him who is true. What else are we to understand? The next phrase is really important too. We are in him who is true. And When John writes, we are 
in him. I think of what Jesus said when he said, abide in him. We need to abide in him who is true. Jesus said to abide in him like a branch abides in the vine. The branch draws its nourishment, its very life from the vine, and any fruit on that branch is produced by the life-giving vine. In John 15, this is what Jesus said, Abide in, in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Later in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We bear that fruit. When we abide in him, we stay connected. It's not straining, it's remaining. And it's not like this white knuckle living. It's peace and faith. I was enjoying some grapes, courtesy of Shiloh Farm, this last week. And I picture... Somewhere on Shiloh Farm, there's a branch. And it has been connected to the vine all spring and summer. It's just been there, just remaining there, connected. All this time, the branch was just abiding in the vine. What happened? The result were a sweet, delicious fruit, that was really yummy. <laughs> we thrive when we are in Jesus. We thrive when we abide in Jesus. We live a life that is fruitful to the glory of God when we practice abiding. We are to be in him who is true. Lastly, John concludes his letter with one last short little verse. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. There are truth posers out there. We'll call them truth posers. John refers to them as idols. Idols, of course, are images made of wood or stone, precious metals even. We don't tend to struggle with uh, graven images in the Western world unless they happen to look like a cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Um, we struggle with those sometimes. But though, for the record, uh, in Togo, uh, real idols are still trending in Togo. Yeah. Instead, we in the Western world, at least, we tend to replace the position that God should have in our life in ways that are a little more subtle than that. And it sounds so straightforward. Little children, keep yourself from idols. But we tend to listen, at least we're tempted to listen to things that are not true. We can be deceived into thinking that are true. So I thought I'd just mention a few. 
just to bring this home that this is this is a, this is a, a temptation for us too little children keep yourselves from idols well here maybe this might be what that looks like i hope you've never said this but maybe you have i am a failure you may have failed a class in high school or junior high And you may have forgotten to pick the children up at school that one time. But are you a failure? That is so not true. I'm here to tell you that you are a redeemed and beloved child of God. Don't believe the lie. Here's another one. Might be true for you. God is just like my father. No, he's not. Now, you may have had a uh, experience of a loving father uh, who was kind and generous. Or maybe your father may not have been that at all. Our personal experience of knowing our earthly father should not affect the truth of who our heavenly father is. Distant, harsh, overbearing, absent. You see, God is none of these things. God is loving, compassionate, wise, merciful, good. So don't believe what is untrue. Keep yourselves from those things that are not true. One last one. I'm okay if people say I'm okay. This is totally backwards. We tend to judge our self-image, our self-worth by the question, how many likes? Oh, I got another like. And it's not just on social media that this applies. We can go through a day looking for likes, looking for approval of others, when our approval really only comes from God. I can do all sorts of things that I shouldn't do or not do the things that I should Why? Because I'm only okay if you think I'm okay, and so I really, really want you to think that I'm okay. I'm here to tell you that the truest thing about you is not that. The truest thing about you is what God says about you. And God says that he loves you without condition. But there is an enemy of our soul that would have us believe a good many things. We're to be wise and discerning. To listen to a lie, to entertain the untrue, it's really an invitation into the dark. It's like clicking on an online advertisement that really is launching this little malware virus into your laptop. But we can combat this. We combat it when we know him who is true when we are in him who is true. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So this truth, it's personal. The truth has a name. His name is Jesus. It's a ways back, um, a year or two maybe, Rosie put a picture on our refrigerator. 
And uh, there it is. It's a picture of a girl, but I look at it and I just substitute one word in there. And I don't know if any of you feel like reading this out loud with me, but it's always a really good reminder. On the darkest days, when I feel inadequate, unloved, and unworthy, I remember whose son I am. (laughs) I straighten my crown. I remember a lesson our scout leaders taught us scouts back when I was a kid. We were on a five-mile hike. Uh, the lesson was in orienteering. Orienteering is is finding your way with a compass and a map. And our leaders got us intentionally lost in the woods. And when he was sure that we were good, good and lost, he goes, Scouts? It's time to look at our compass and our map. And so he quickly got us back on the path that we should have been on all along. I remember that day feeling lost, but of course it was not too late because we we had our compass, we had our maps, and we got back on track. But I'm suggesting it's not too late for us either. A bunch of little scouts... Our wayward path was interrupted by the truth that day. We were corrected by the truth. And for all the orienteering skills a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout or any Scout can have, it's guesswork at best unless they know where true north is. This passage says that the truth is Jesus. Jesus is true north. So we orient and we reorient our lives to him daily, hourly. So this morning, the sun came up. It interrupted the night. It took over. (laughs) The sun took over. Jesus is like that. He's the truth that interrupts our lives this morning. Whatever wishes, inclinations, our passions, Jesus is the true light that shines that we would be wise to adjust ourselves to. John wrote earlier in 1 John that he is the light that can make the darkness pass away. God wants his light to be shining like a morning sunrise in my soul, in your soul too. I want to close with this passage from uh, Isaiah chapter 9 is a prophecy fulfilled by Jesus. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. The truth of knowing Jesus, abiding in Jesus, should interrupt everything that we do. How does God interrupt us? Through circumstances, through prayers answered. Was that just answer a prayer? God can interrupt us that way. Through his word, the Bible, sometimes through a brother or sister who's just a sojourner like you and me. Sometimes through a longing or aching in our heart for God's country. But when 
God's truth interrupts us, we should allow it to interrupt us. Remember the song that came on automatically in, in our car when we'd started up, if my cell phone was in range? I think of the truth of Jesus being something like that. It can be like a heaven song that comes on in our heart, in our mind. I call them Jesus interruptions. Jesus interruptions can remind us of the most important thing. This heaven song, I thought of it as like an overture. An overture of our eternal life to come. But for the here and now, it's a song that can encourage us. It can reset our priorities. It can give our hope hearts. It can give our hearts hope. Um, as we look to God for his help and leading in our troubles times that we live in. That's what I got, but the, uh, allow me to close us in a word of prayer. Thank you, God, for loving us in this way. You love us and you set to work on creating a place for us that where you are, we may be also. And for the time being, you've given us your spirit um, as our advocate. You've given us your spirit to lead us and guide us into the truth. Lord Jesus, we want to know you. We want to be in you because you are true. You are the truth. Help us encourage us. Help us encourage one another with these words. Um, And uh, we ask these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.